for adoption or they know somebody who's adopted, someone in their family, a friend. Um, and then uh, one of the most moving stories that I heard uh, recently was a, a man who saw the movie <clears throat> in the theaters. He was a real quiet, introverted, shy kind of personality. And uh, he was thinking about the movie as he was driving his Uber uh, and he was picking up people to deliver them places. With Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, how are you, man? The media giant's here with another big one and you're so excited. So, Greg, who do we have today with us? Oh, my gosh. We have Kirk Cameron today. Very exciting. I'm excited to talk with them. We're going to talk about life, Mark, and everything. Kirk, thanks for stopping by. And, man, you know, thinking about the story, first of all, of how David, this is an entrepreneur story in so many ways of David and his message to reach out to you. I want to go to that question before we get any further questions of just how somebody goes out with someone as, you know, well-known as you are, especially in the Christian film world, and goes back and says, hey, I have this idea and tell us that story. David, I interviewed David and he told it. It was just amazing. Well, I'm glad you had a chance to meet David. Uh, David's an amazing young guy. Uh, I've gotten to be friends with him and it was really an honor to tell the story of his life. So I have a friend who sent me a link on my phone to a little documentary that had already been produced about David's life. It's called I Lived on Parker Avenue. And it's uh, the story of um, one, one way to tell the story is an 18-year-old girl who changed her mind at the last second and chose adoption over abortion in, uh, in this situation with an unplanned pregnancy. <clears throat> and she placed her child up for adoption, thinking she'd probably never see him again. 19 years later, he has a chance to reconnect with her. She thinks he probably hates her for abandoning him. And uh, he, she realizes that the opposite is true. He's coming to thank her. And he, he embraces her with this loving hug and says, thank you for the choice that you made. I love my family. I love my life. Uh, you're, you're my hero. And I watched this documentary and was just wrecked by the, the, the story. It so impacted me, particularly because I am an adoptive father. My wife and I have six children. Four of our children are adopted. My wife is also an adopted child. And so this really connected with the center of my heart and I, I knew it would make a great movie. So I called my friends, the Kendrick brothers, and I said, guys, I've gotten in touch with David Scotton. I'm uh, securing the rights to, his, to tell his story. Uh, do you think I'm crazy? And they said, no, uh, we watched the documentary. We don't think you're crazy. In fact, we'd like to make the movie with you. And so we uh, purposed to produce it together. I'm also acting in it along with Alex Kendrick. Uh, I play the adoptive father. Uh, Alex plays the husband of the biological mother, and we made the movie. It's called Life Mark, and it came out this last summer. Uh, the timing was unbelievable with everything happening culturally in the country, and now it's out just in time for Thanksgiving Day weekend, so people can watch this uh, pro-life, pro-family, pro-love, pro-forgiveness, and pro-reconciliation movie. Wow. 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 That's amazing. So first quick question, um, you know, what inspired you to make this movie about adoption and release it now, given the climate? Well, uh, as, as I said, I, I thought it was just a great story in and of itself. It was very moving. It's something I think our country needs. Um, and, and we started to make the movie back in 2019. Uh, but then, of course, once the pandemic uh, took over everything, 
And uh, the, the government reaction to that was to shut everything down, including movie theaters, schools, churches, businesses. We didn't know when the movie would be released. So it was finished. It was ready to go. Uh, and what we thought was a terrible interruption to our plans turned out to be providential timing because who would have guessed that in our lifetime, the Supreme Court would have effectively overruled uh, a 50-year standing ruling of Roe versus Wade and sends the nation into a tailspin with what's going on and everybody's fighting over pro-life, pro-choice. And then right on the heels of that decision, here comes a movie that providentially comes rushing into the movie theaters, celebrating the value of life in the womb and the beauty of adoption. We couldn't have planned it. We couldn't have written a story that was any better than what really happened. We just told the story and uh, God put it in the theaters at the perfect time. Absolutely. Can you tell us about the incredible stories that you've heard from those who've seen Life Mark? Well, uh, I, I've seen the movie quite a few times myself, and I've actually been to the theaters with friends when it was in the theaters, and people are coming out just so touched and moved by it because so many people have been affected by uh, either uh, an unplanned pregnancy or adoption, or they know somebody who's adopted, someone in their family, a friend. Um, and then uh, one of the most moving stories that I heard uh, recently was a, a man who saw the movie <clears throat> in the theaters. He was a real quiet, introverted, uh, shy kind of personality. And uh, he was thinking about the movie as he was driving his Uber uh, and he was picking up people to deliver them places. And he found a young lady who... Uh, was in the back seat and he was taking her to the destination. And when he looked, he could see that he was taking her to an abortion clinic. Uh, he looked and she was a young girl who looked like, okay, she was upset and he figured he understood what was going on. He thought about the movie and said, you know what? <clears throat> I'm just gonna ask her. And he says to her, would you be open um, in light of where I see I'm taking you? And you're probably filled with a lot of questions and I don't know if you have anyone to talk to, but you're about to make a really big decision. Would you be open to talking to somebody who could help you think through this? And she said, yes. And he said, there's a movie that I saw that I think would really be helpful for you. It's called Life Mark. And he connected her with a woman at a pregnancy resource center. Uh, instead of taking her to uh, the, the abortion clinic and she agreed to talk with them. She got some counsel. He connected her with a family of faith at a church near her hometown. Uh, she was reconnected with her family that she was estranged from. Uh, she renewed her faith in God. She watched the movie and she, she chose to um, give birth to her child and place him up for adoption. So I look at that and I think, wow, this is, this is having a real impact. And uh, babies are being saved. Moms are being helped. And couples who are not able to have children themselves are having their prayers answered all through the impact of a movie like Life Mark. Wow, that's an incredible story. You know, how do you see God's love for his children through adoption? Well, um, God loves adoption for sure. Uh, how do I know that? Because it's all throughout the scriptures. Um, just think about the Christmas story itself. Adoption is at the heart of the Christmas story. A young lady, Mary, wakes up one morning with an unplanned pregnancy from her human perspective. Joseph, full of faith, and love for God and for his wife 
adopts this baby, raises them as his own son. And because of that loving choice, the baby was saved, Mary was taken care of, and salvation, reconciliation, and new beginnings come to the entire world. Uh, think of the story of Moses. He was scheduled to be aborted by government decree, and his mother, full of faith, uh, places him in a basket and sends him down the river. He's then rescued uh, according to the plan of God and adopted into a royal family. And we have the leader of um, the ancient world, Moses. Now, where would we be without him and his Ten Commandments and his leadership and, and all of that? There's adoption throughout the whole scriptures, including the New Testament, where those of us who are far away from God are adopted into his family through faith because of his kindness. How do you think this film will impact how people view adoption now? What is that hope of yours? I, I'm hoping that this will open people's eyes to adoption being the loving choice. We believe that adoption is the loving choice in the midst of a scary um, situation that feels like a crisis. Um, we believe that there is uh, a, a miracle, miracle buried in there. And we believe that there's an opportunity for something extraordinary to happen if we look through the lens of love toward everybody involved in this difficult situation. You know, when there's an unplanned pregnancy, there's not just a woman involved. There's also uh, a man involved. Uh, wh where is he? What does he need? Why isn't he supporting her? Why aren't they together uh, helping at, and walking each other through this situation? How do we um, also look through the lens of love toward the child who is developing uh, and has a whole future ahead of him or her in the womb? Uh, one choice that I know fits the bill for everybody is adoption, because we've adopted four kids ourselves. And uh, I am so grateful. Every one of my children was one doctor appointment away from not existing. My wife was, was uh, uh, perhaps minutes away from not being here. And if my wife hadn't been born, either would our two natural born children. And so uh, I am a big proponent of adoption. I want people to look into it and see that it is an incredibly loving choice and something that could um, help you save a, save a life and answer the prayers of those who are not able to have children on their own. Well, you know, you told that beautiful story of the young lady who was headed, you know, for the clinic, saw the movie, made the U-turn and, and had her child. You know, it, let's, let's talk more in general now. You know, the film is pro-family, pro-reconciliation, pro-forgiveness, and so much more. How do you think the film will impact how the general public views adoption now? I, I'm hoping that, well, I mean, that is who's seeing the movie is the general public. Um, this isn't a movie for a isolated group of religious people. Uh, this is a movie for uh, my daughters and my sons and, and your daughters and sons. This is for um, uh, grandparents and adults, everyone. Uh, this is a huge issue. You know, I, I, I love that our country is founded on the inalienable rights that we know come to us from God. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And the first and chief among these is life. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist or you're a Christian or a Jew or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or whatever. If we sacrifice life um, by putting qualifiers on which ones are worthy to be um, spared and which ones can be sacrificed, uh, we fundamentally undermine the freedoms that we have in the country. There, there, there ain't no liberty if you don't have life. 
Right. Uh, we don't even get around to choosing the pursuit of happiness in any form if we don't start with all life is precious and it's sacred. It must be protected and celebrated in the womb, outside the womb, black, white, no qualifiers um, disqualify anyone from being a human being and being in a person. So I'm hoping that people see that uh, that every life counts and that an unplanned pregnancy is not a reason to destroy a life. Um, it's reason to do a, to a lot of it, to do a lot of adjusting and a lot of thinking, a lot of um, uh, reforming the way that we think and we live. And it's also um, an opportunity to be a hero in a very difficult circumstance and let faith and love drive your decision-making. Exactly. You know, one thing I've been so impressed about Kirk and your story, and we'll definitely get to where we can watch the movie is your entrepreneur mindset, how you took a brand, which was growing pains and have been able to create, I believe you're one of the major leaders in how Christian films have become so popular and have really just, you know, box office hits, especially even this one. What do you think? What was your, have you been mentored or did you have this mindset? You wanted to use what you, how people watched you every week for so many years on growing pains, how you've been able to increase your overall brand to this message and this mission that you have a tribe of people to help. How do you think you did that? I mean, it's, it's such an, an amazing story of how you took brand, brand awareness and has kept it to the level that you've grown to what you've been able to build, that you're making such a difference in so many people's lives. Man, I, you know, when I hear you say that, um, I, I uh, thank you for those kind words. That's very encouraging. That put wind, puts wind in my sails and makes me feel like, wow, um, makes, makes it sound like what I'm doing is, is important. And I want to do important things. I want to make a difference. I don't want to waste my life. I feel uh, so grateful that I'm alive. I'm grateful that I live in America. I'm grateful that I'm, I'm married. I've got kids and, and I'm able to do stuff that makes a difference. But I, don't, I can't tell you that I had a great plan of brand awareness. You know, I had an awareness that uh, I'm fortunate and I don't want to screw it up. And I want to honor the God that has been kind and gracious to me. That's that was kind of the extent of my plan. It's it still is when I wake up in the morning. I mean, all this could be gone tomorrow. Um, I I don't deserve the opportunities that I have. Um, but there's a principle that I try to live by, and that is, uh, God says in the scriptures in the Bible that He who is faithful in the little things uh, will also be entrusted with big things, and I don't really know how to manage things on a giant national level. Um, I don't think, uh, I don't think I've got a, a, a laid out strategy for that, but I do have a strategy of trying to be faithful with what God has put right in front of me. And if I can do that, uh, I think I will learn as I you know, sort of on the job training for how to handle bigger things. So um, I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a good answer or not. Well, they're not giving strategy. I'm taking it one day at a time. I think the strategy was, but I I see what you're saying. As humble as you are, and Kirk, I'm impressed by how humble of a guy you are. Because you know, again, you're I consider in that A-list category, especially what you've been able to grow from the beginning, where you could just walk down as a you know a child star on Growing Pains, and then it would have been over. You know, you might have done some acting, different things, but you've put yourself in this 
this level that, you know, people talk about who would I like to interview? Cause I have, you know, uh, people that reach out to me and say, Hey, Neil, who should you interview? And you're on the top five list. So there you go. So you got, well, thanks bro. I, you got, you, you, you got to look at that. As, yeah. Go ahead. I appreciate I appreciate that. And you know, it's also, it's also fun to be, to be made fun of and mocked and knocked down by my, my favorite fake news source, the Babylon Bee. Uh, they, they, they love to use me as, um, kind of their, their, their poster guy for, um, you know, uh, Christian jokes and stuff. And, so, and, I, and I laugh at it because they're so funny. Um, but yeah. stuff like that is, is good. It's good to be able to laugh at yourself, not take yourself too seriously. And remember that to whom much is given, much is required. And um, I take that really seriously too. All right. For your fans of Growing Pains, Greg, I have a Growing Pains question. Go ahead, Greg, and then we'll finish up. I don't have a Growing Pains question. Yeah, yes, you I, do. I do have an important question for you, but I love to learn from people. And I know my audience does as well. Just as a, as a tip, what's the most important thing you've ever learned? <laughs> oh my goodness, Greg, come on. <laughs> the, oh my goodness. You're, you're having me reach down to the bottom of my soul to pull out one thing that I've learned that's most important. Um, just one. one. One is good. Just one. Uh, an important thing to learn. People are more important than, um, than, than things. Um, and the two, and that's huge, right? Like love the two greatest commandments ever is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love uh, others as yourself. Um, that's about relationships, my relationship with God, my relationship with others. Um, it's not money. It's not power. It's not fame. All those are the traps that we get sucked into. Uh, and then we ruin our relationships in the process. How many rich guys do you know who just tank their marriage? They have no relationship with their kids because those things are so alluring. We, we, we got to take our eyes off the shiny things and come back to relationships are um, what we were made for. And then we use things to benefit relationships. We don't use people to get us things. So that, that's a big one for me. And then to remember that, well, which relationships are the most important? For me, I'm going to say if you're married, the two most important relationships are your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. And then you build a life on, on those relationships. Um, my kids are going to build the next 50 years on the, the values and the example that my wife and I have laid down for them in our home. Um, maybe, maybe you're not married, um, but if that's something that you desire, I would say uh, who you choose as your spouse is perhaps uh, the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life uh next to uh what you think about god yeah. and if you can get those things right answer. man if you get that's those things right you're on the right road great yeah. answer love, love that answer and life mark is available on dvd blu-ray and digital on december 13th yeah. correct yes yeah yeah that's that's right that's right and uh, i hope you guys get a chance to see it uh those of you who are watching listening uh you're gonna love it and a uh, little spoiler alert you 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 will be in tears uh, several times throughout the movie. It's very emotional, but uh, take heart. There's lots of humor. There's parts that are hilarious. There's lots of action. We've got skydiving, cliff jumping, knife throwing, ATV racing, high school wrestling. So there's lots of great stuff for the guys. And uh, But there's going to be a, a few moments where you're going to have a good cry too. So br bring a box of tissues. We appreciate it, Kirk. You were amazing. Thanks again. And everyone can follow you anywhere. We know, just find Kirk Cameron on social media. You're one of the social media juggernauts. Trust me on that. I, every time I'm following up stuff. An influencer beyond influencers, but he's influencing for a purpose. 
to help others all over the world. So we appreciate it, Kirk, for you stopping by. Hey, you, you, you guys rock, and I appreciate all the good work that you're doing. Thanks for having me on the show and, and taking time to talk about Life Mark. All Thanks, right, Kirk. again, this was a great simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Take care, guys. teacher and he said something really brilliant he said i have more in common with a successful plumber than i have in common with an unsuccessful acting teacher and by that he meant that the very same things that it takes to become successful in any pursuit whether you're uh you know a plumber a baseball player uh you're in sales there are certain things that you have to do to achieve success certain common denominators and it doesn't matter and celebrity interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? And I'm already excited as can be to finally meet uh, this guest face to face. He was on my podcast radio show six years ago. Greg, I know you're excited. You're a huge fan of Cobra Kai, aren't you? Oh, yeah. That's amazing show. Enjoyed the first five seasons. I'm going to have to ask you to put Sean in a headlock and find out when season six is coming out. Oh yeah. And see Sean might have not heard in our last interview when we did is I'm a former pro wrestler. I see Sean getting in this great shape. I'm again, trying to get in really good shape as well to maybe return back to the ring. I went uh -huh. ahead and uh, had, so maybe we're going to have to have a match who knows, but um, <laughs> welcome. again, I'm going to talk about it later in this show. Sean Kanan again, Cobra Kai, Karate Kid, uh, we talk so much about soap operas, but you're a Pittsburgher, Sean, yeah. you know what, and Newcastle, uh, I remember some of the conversations, great to have you back on again, and you know, when I think about specifically enough, your career, and did you ever think this was going to happen to you, especially the kind of the career it's gone, the path, the success you've had, and then even the further success that's kind of catapulting you this year, and, and since back with Cobra Kai, your book, and everything. You know, that's that's a tough question to answer, um, because at the risk of sounding arrogant, here's the thing, you know, as a young kid coming from Western Pennsylvania, moving out to Hollywood in 1987, if on some crazy level, I didn't believe this was going to happen, who the hell else was going to believe it? Right. So, you know, I, 
talk about it. I have a black belt in being my own cheerleader because you have to be. Um, but I mean, I am humbled and I am just, you know, continually amazed at, at all the blessings that have been coming my way. Uh, the last two years have been really extraordinary. Um, you know, I know they've been very difficult for a lot of people with COVID. Um, two years ago, um, my year started doing back-to-back -back movies with Bruce Willis. And uh, from there, it went to, uh, uh, you know, doing Cobra Kai and uh, uh, then getting uh, brought back on to The Bold and the Beautiful. And it's just been been it's been going great since then so I, I, I like i said i'm humbled absolutely good greg first question well, fantastic first question uh what style wait, of martial arts wait hold on uh, greg, greg where the hell are you it looks like some kind of wine cellar snm dojo thing what do you got going on there that's, <laughs> that's my wine cellar in my basement yeah, yeah what's going on back by the red light there oh yeah that's cool <laughs> it, it's a it's a it's a false uh jail gate there's it Got just you. backs up to a wall. No, wait, let me ask you a question, though. Are you, are, are you from Newcastle? No. Because there's a lot of Hannahs in Newcastle. Really? Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. I didn't know, because Hannah was a really... There's a uh, Howard Hannah, who's a, a real estate guy. And a, yeah, okay, a lot of Hannahs. Um, okay, what style? I'm going to have to go to uh, Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> I started studying uh, Shotokan with Sensei William Stoner in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Uh, I think I was about 14 or 15 years old. And uh, our dojo then converted to um, something called Itosokai. Uh, and and it's it's now called Gembukai, but it's really very similar to what Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel. It's kind of ironic that, you know, having played the, the bad guy in Karate Kid 3, I actually, my training is pretty close to what what mr miyagi taught daniel and then over the years um i've studied different martial arts a little smattering uh of uh brazilian jiu-jitsu um uh, krav maga um uh, american kickboxing so i like to joke that i can get my ass kicked in about five different styles <laughs> <laughs> and you know and so a lot you're one of the only like when you look at the first karate kid Sean, I, I watched the making of it, like, and specifically, I think, I think it was on Reels, and it was just so oh. amazing to look at all that stuff, but a lot of the people that were in the first Karate Kid were not trained in martial arts at all, and I don't know about Karate Kid 2, but then, meaning that that, that that was their background, you had that background going into Karate Kid. Well, well two, two guys specifically in Karate Kid are unbelievable martial artists. The first is Sensei Ron Thomas, who played Bobby, and then, of course, Grandmaster Daryl Vidal, who played Vidal at the, uh, uh, you know, at the All Valley Tournament, um, is the inventor of the crane kick, and he is a 10th degree black belt in uh, Kempo. So those two guys did have really strong, much stronger than me, martial arts backgrounds. Um, it was really fortuitous that I had studied martial arts for, you know, about four years. Um, I don't think i would have gotten the part without it because i just don't know how you take somebody that has no martial arts background and makes them look like they're a national champion i mean they they had enough trouble with me because you know i mean i had i had a really strong um foundation but there were some things i i just couldn't do and so they took what i could do and you know we we went with that um in the karate kid too i don't know exactly what yuji's um, martial arts background is. I do know that um, 
Billy Zabka and Yuji have now trained extensively, obviously. Um, so, I mean, you know, they're, they're both pretty good. Um, you know, and Ralph is, is continually trained and is, has improved as the years have gone on. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think, I think there's, um, there's a scale, you know, there's there, like you said, there's some people that, uh, had, had minimum, uh, uh experience, some that had quite a bit. Wow. Oh, and Thomas, Thomas Ian Griffith, of course, is a, a black belt. He's a, he's a terrific martial artist. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty terrific. Do you guys in the cast hang out, uh, outside of, uh, filming and so on or not really? I mean, you know, I, I, I see the guys, um, you know, over the years, I've seen the guys at different events, um, and uh, uh, Martin Cove and I did a play together. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably saw Marty the most. Uh, was recently, not recently, but maybe about five months ago, six months ago, was on his uh, podcast. And, you know, the thing is that <clears throat> even though we don't see each other that often, it's like you're part of a kind of an exclusive club, a fraternity. Um, well, fraternity and sorority. Um, you know, we, we have this common experience that we've all gone through and we're all part of this amazing fandom and so it it serves as a bond uh and we're able to kind of pick up right where we left off from the last time we saw each other and i think it changes in some ways the hanging out greg when it's social media if sean is staying on his social media and making sure he's connecting or tagging or looking at some of the other guys that are doing in the social, it's an important part of it, especially when the show airs on Netflix, right? When it first launched, you're like, I'm jumping on this because this is an opportunity to build a new fan base. I have a huge fan base because of the soap opera. Now I'm going to get a young fan base, people that maybe forgot about me and it's like bringing them all back again. And it's amazing. Like, right. It just blows up so fast in social media faster than you could ever imagine. It is, you know, I, my, my wife pointed something out to me. I, I didn't even think about it. She said, you realize that you are currently on the number one daytime show in the world, Bold the Beautiful, and you're on the number one show in the world, Cobra Kai. And I said, well, when you put it like that, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, that's that's pretty good. And I, I've, I've always been very good, I guess, in my career at grabbing onto big coattails. So uh, very happy to uh, uh, have been able to do that. You know, with the, these shows that have got these, uh, you know, mega built-in, uh, built-in fan bases. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's incredible. You know, when we were uh, <clears throat> catching up, Neil and I earlier, he told me he wrote a book. So I love Amazon. I jumped right on. I ordered a copy. It's only in paperback. Yeah, the one on the left, on, on your right. That one so right good. there. That's the one yeah, I got. Yeah, first one. yeah, that's yeah so I'm all excited. Tell me, what am I going to expect to see in that book? So Way the Cobra is structured that I'm a sensei. You are a student in my dojo. The chapters are divided into belts. Cobra is an acronym. It's formed from the words character, optimization, balance, respect, and abundance. And these are the strategies and the philosophy that I've used to achieve some of the success in my life and also to uh, overcome some pretty significant challenges. I draw on some autobiographical stories to uh, to illustrate some of the lessons. Um, and I'll tell you, I hear from people all over the world, literally every day that they're making monumental paradigm shifts in their life. Um, this is, uh, springboarded me into an incredible sort of, uh, third career as, as an excellence coach, um, which I just love doing. I love working with people. I love inspiring people. Um, and, 
the sequel to uh, Way of the Cobra, Welcome to the Kumite, uh, just came out December 10th. And if you like Way of the Cobra, you're going to love Welcome to the Kumite. Uh, the tagline for Welcome to the Kumite is conquer your greatest opponent, which, of course, is you. Yeah, absolutely. And well, you, you know, Sean, I got to give I got to give the rest of the plug. You can yeah. get the books at wayofthecobra.com. You can get Way of the Cobra on Amazon, too. But Welcome to the Kumite is currently only available on at wayofthecobra.com. So tell us about this excellence coaching. Now you're going to be the next Tony Robbins it's going to go <laughs> in a different way. And you're doing the greatest thing out there is the fact that you, you're, you're an actor. You're a working actor. You've worked for so many years. And you're learning from a lot of these guys, successful people like The Rock. Different people have taken not just what they're doing on film, but creating a lifestyle brand. It looks like you're going that direction, which is really a smart idea because – People will only remember you from your last thing. And you're on television all the time. You're on Netflix all the time. You're building this young fan base. You can really build up from a strategy like you're doing when a lot of people that are working actors miss out on this. What, what got yeah, you? No, I, I, you it's, it's, and stuff like that? It's, it's, it's been a concerted, um, an intentional personal choice on my part to do this. You know, my you, you talked about The Rock and, and guys that are, are actors and how they're also segueing into doing a lot of this uh, lifestyle branding stuff. You know, I had an acting teacher and he said something really brilliant. He said, I have more in common with a successful plumber than I have in common with an unsuccessful acting teacher. And by that, he meant that the very same things that it takes to become successful in any pursuit, whether you're uh, you know, a plumber, a baseball player, uh, you're in sales. There are certain things that you have to do to achieve success, certain common denominators, and it doesn't matter what you do. And, um, you know, my, uh, my coaching is, um, is one-on-one -on -one, and I am all about people. First of all, assuming responsibility, you know, your life is your fault where you are. If you're not happy, it's the sum total of all the decisions that you've made, both the good ones and the questionable ones. And I talked a lot about, the concept of story, how we as humans attach stories to the events in our life. And most of the time, human beings tend to attach um, negative and disempowering stories. And by flipping the script just a little bit, you can take the events that happen in your life and you can turn them into empowering stories. And I'll, I'll just really quickly give you an example. I had uh, a life-threatening injury while I was uh, in Karate Kid 3. And, you know, I could have I could have taken that and attached the story that, you know, the studio said that they were going to get rid of me, um, you know, no flowers, no balloons. I could have become jaded and said, you know, Hollywood is this really difficult, cold, hard place. That's one story. But instead, I attached the story that when the chips were down um, and I had to rally and, and kind of expose a part of my character that at 22, I didn't know existed. I did what was necessary, not only to, um, you know, rehabilitate myself, but to finish the movie and do all of my own martial arts stunts. And so that's the story that I carry around with me so that when things in my life get really tough, I say to myself, really, is it as tough as facing life-threatening surgery and being told that they don't know if they can save your life? I don't think so. And so that story drives me. That's great. That's awesome. You know, I guess back when, when I was coming up, we used to call that man and up. I don't know what you can man, call that right. these days, right? Man and up. <laughs> <laughs> Real, real 
Sean, real men are from Pittsburgh, right? From Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. I'm, 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 in, I'm in Dallas now, so I'm no longer in Pittsburgh. So we're right. kind of move on in our lives away hey, thank, from Pittsburgh. Hey, thank God they got for many brothers in the uh, airports now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are you so yeah, it's amazing. Anytime I take people to Pittsburgh and they have for many brothers, they're blown away by it. What's, what's your what's your what's your go-to there? You know, I just the traditional one. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, I like the traditional one, but I got to tell you, I like their fish sandwich too. Okay. They're, they're I mean, it's not something I eat real often, you know? I know. You're in great shape. And you, you I go also, to I'm not having a salad. But you also got in even better shape, right? Yeah, That's one of the I things did. you've, I mean, you were jacked. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You're looking, you were going into the rock. I mean, once I saw you just jump in in the furniture store, I'm like, what the heck? Well, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually about 25 pounds lighter than I did Cobra Kai. Um, I, I told you that at the beginning of that year, I did a film, did two films with Bruce Willis, one of which I played a, um, a special forces guy. And so I, I put on about 20 pounds for that role and I hadn't taken it all off by the time I did Cobra Kai. But, um, uh, I, I think I probably weighed in at around like, I don't know, I probably weighed around 209 when I did um, uh, Cobra Kai and I'm about 186 right now. Okay. Uh, but, you know, part of it was, you know, I, I when I wrote Way of the Cobra, it really was an epiphany for me. And I, I said to myself, if I'm going to elevate myself to the position of a sensei giving advice, I must live my life the way that I'm talking about it in the book. I, I cannot be a hypocrite. And, um, you know, I quit drinking. Um, uh, that's something I talk about in the new book in Welcome to the Kumite, how, you know, I, I felt myself kind of slipping into mediocrity. And I knew that if I didn't slay a couple dragons uh, that were demons in my own life, that I just wasn't going to be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And so I, I made some absolutely extraordinary life changes and they have had monumental effects on on my life and i you know i don't say that to impress people i say it to impress upon them what is possible when you're willing to accept responsibility and make some changes and the path the path is easy uh, the path is is simple but it's not easy very very good no, that's uh, important that's the key and for sure greg ask the question you're asking every one of the celebrities we've interviewed so far especially he's come up with this question and it's very powerful sean let's see if you can answer it and then i have a question for you <laughs> okay because you've been ducking me for six years but go ahead greg yeah awesome sean you know i'd love to ask this of successful people such as yourself you know to help my audience my listeners um what's the most important thing that you feel that you've ever learned if um, I've distilled what I think it takes to be successful into four concepts, and this is what I tell young kids when they ask me, and I say, if you can do these four things, you've got about a 99% chance of being successful in life. That success may not look like exactly what you want it to look like. It may not happen on the timetable that you want it to happen, but you will be successful. The first is simple. We all know it. We learned it in kindergarten. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Simple, right? Treat other people the way you wanted to be treated. The second one is act with integrity. Do what you say, say what you mean. When you give your word, follow through, but also be judicious when you give your word. Because once you give in it, you now have to live your life with compassion. And, and one of the best 
ways that uh, compassion and empathy. You know, we've all had that experience when you're standing in line at, you know, uh, uh, the pharmacy or something, and you see some older person and they pull out their checkbook and you're in a hurry and they're writing a check and get all those horrendous, crazy thoughts in your head. And, you know, you don't know if that person is deciding whether they can buy their husband's medication for the night or if they have dinner. And so, you know, you never know what private war somebody else is fighting. So if we all just take a breath and, and look at each other and treat each other with a little more civility, a little more understanding. And I, I go into that a little more before I tell you the last one. I, yeah, I go into it a little more in, in the, um, the second book. And I, I talk about how we've got to stop looking at groups of people and people as monolithic. In other words, no, no person is completely good, completely bad. No group thinks this way and only this way. There are shades of gray within people and shades of gray within groups. And it's okay to disagree with someone's idea without eviscerating their humanity. And then the last one is simple. Grind. Grind. Get up early. Work hard. Make sure that you're bringing value to every relationship that you have. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that in very, very, very few um, uh, very, very few times in life do things have to be a zero-sum game where for me to win, you have to lose. So I always look for how can I win? How can I get what I want? But how can I also help you get what you want? And that's especially important for something like in sales. You know, anyone can kind of get over on somebody one time, whatever, but that's not what it's about. When you act with integrity, you act with character, and you help other people achieve their dreams, that is the quickest way for you to achieve your dreams. And if you do those four things consistently, you're going to be a successful human being. That's Amazing. great. That's great. Now, now Sean, I want to follow up to that real quick. So it, it just really sunk to me what you just said. You know, Wallace Waddles, who wrote The Science of uh, you know, Becoming Wealthy or Getting Rich, you know, says that it's so important that you deliver value to somebody well in advance Absolutely. of the amount of monetary gain that, that you get from them. And that, that's, yeah. a you know, I, I came up with, I came, I came up with something else in the sequel to the book. I'm a huge proponent of this. I talk about staying out of the results. Okay. A lot of people are result oriented. What is a better usage of your time is creating a bulletproof system. Let me explain what a system is. A system is a series of habits, okay? So think about when you get in the car. You've got a system. Uh, that system is you get in the car, you check your mirrors, your seatbelt on, you check behind you, you turn the ignition on, you go, and you achieve the result. The result is to get to the destination and to get there safe, right? So if you can create a bulletproof process for everything that you do, okay, and you tweak the process doing self-diagnostics based on new information coming in, but you're constantly trying to refine the process, whether it's the way that you deal with customers, the way that you relate to your, your partner, the way that you relate to your kids, whatever it is, if you put all the effort into the process, the results will come. That's it. There you go. Now, Sean, the results will come. You've been ducking me for six years. I'm former pro wrestler, <laughs> ready to get back in the ring. What, you know, your karate, Let's go ahead do a pro wrestling match in Dallas, Texas, or in Los Angeles. You're going to have to face a, a nearly seven foot tall media giant versus you. Are you going to me? I'm 6'10. I'm 6'10, Sean. Are you really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? I will absolutely wrestle you. I've got one request, okay? okay. I need $5 million in cash. 
hey, we'll get the promoters to get it done. Let's you, do get it. Me, you get me $5 million and I will wrestle you. Okay, let's see. We'll figure it out. We go do a GoFundMe now. See, again, another person trying to duck me. $5 million. Let's call Vince McMahon. Let's call AEW. One of you guys needs to put Sean Cannon in the ring, and maybe it'll happen now because you did yeah, my right. show, and you better give me a piece. I'm going to have to get a step ladder. Huh? <laughs> what, what name did you wrestle under? Oh, Big Neil the Real Deal. Uh, That's a great name. Giant Warrior. Uh, and Butch Bronson, as I said, and, and I did a Jason gimmick, all these different things. <laughs> Were you in the WWF? No, I did TV once with them, wrestled Crush and Savia Vega, did a tour in Germany, retired, became a teacher, and then brought back into my entertainment game. So I, I love Sean. I bet your kids don't mouth off to you. Oh, they have no mouth off to me, that's for <laughs> sure. And especially you. You're not going to mouth off to me because you're ducking me $5 million, Greg. You got oh, here he goes. He's going into but, the wrestling thing now, right? But yes, I am. <laughs> Write a check right now. I am not <laughs> ducking you, man. Greg, $5 million bucks, I'm there. I'll okay. put my knee pads on and I'm ready to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never wrestled. I've never wrestled at all, but I've watched it. All right. <laughs> Give me that good. part. <laughs> all right. Appreciate it, guys. All right. That was Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Media Giant Effect. And, you know, I've only interviewed a few people on Clubhouse. One was in person, done a few Zooms. Now I'm trying to catch up with people because I am too busy to be on Clubhouse. I grew a huge following, just like my guest did, Jeff McCallum. Jeff, thanks, entrepreneur. Thanks for stopping by, man. Entrepreneur, multiple businesses, success, and, and enjoying life now, Jeff. And now talking more <laughs> about Jeff McCallum than your businesses, right? Yeah, you know, uh, thank you, man, for having me on. It's a lot of fun. I love talking about uh, picking apart success, what makes a person. I always think of several people that I've always read nonfiction books. I've always sharpened the axe. We've all, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. Richard Branson was mentioned the other day, and I just get pumped when I hear Richard Branson because he's the guy that said when the coffee tray is down on a jet, if you see a coffee stain, you got to ask yourself, do they service the engines? He was a people guy. Uh, he's always been like, he's always looked after his employees. I always looked after my employees. I don't think I had anybody ever quit or if they did get fired, they walked out happier they're fired. It's being tapped. Anyway, the keys to success for me, and especially when it comes to mentoring, where it's, you know, live by your own rules. Don't wait for other people to tell you really how to do it. The other one is, a big one I live by is, would you rather be right or successful? Okay. And a lot of people don't, they don't understand that one. It's like, where do you want to draw the line? Are you going to win this battle and every battle when you open your mouth? If you're going to win every battle, you're finished. It's over. Everybody has something to offer to you. And even if you hear it several times, it took me a long time to learn how to listen. You right, know? Exactly. And, and I, I was not... But after a while, you know, you start to find commonalities with people. People are all the same. We all have a struggle. There's 
you know, we all have these different, I guess, what is it? Uh, we're all trying to get up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're all trying to get to self-actualization. Some have the needs met with, you know, a job and a house. And, and think about it. You're, every generation that I know of, the parents go, go get a job. Like your yeah. big brother, Bob type thing, right? Learn how to balance a checkbook. That ages me right there. Checkbook. What's that? Right. Yeah, exactly. I, so, I don't know. Now. And then this, the thing is, tell us about your successful businesses that you're now before that you've grown so that people understand. And then we're going to talk about the power of mentoring. My mentor was GJ Reynolds, who's co-owner of Women of Faith. He's a millionaire from Visalis. He was one of the original equity owners of Levi Salas. And I learned so much about surrounding myself with the right people. He always taught me that. And I never thought of it. I was an educator and teacher at that time. Never thought, you know, entrepreneurship, never. And now that's what I want to do the rest of my life. And say, I enjoy it. I want to grow. And I, and I, every day I'm just motivated to keep learning, but tell us about the power of mentorship. First, tell us about success of your businesses and then mentorship. Well, I think they came, I think it was hand in hand right from the first employee I had. So I had a restoration company, fire and flood restoration company. This was in the early nineties when that industry was, no one knew what restoration really was. You In the US, it was probably a little bit, Canada, what are they? They just hire somebody to extract water out of the basement. I followed that, that uh, the growth of that business and I was lucky, but I stayed on it, always bought, you know, the latest, greatest and always educated myself. And it was, while I had, you know, starting from one employee to, it's crazy. You, you, if you care about your employees and you care about the growth of them, and I hate to say it, but motivation is holding that carrot in front of somebody. But we all want hope. Yeah. You know, preachers pound the pulpit, go, we're going to give you hope, right? Anyway, I, I just, ha I had, I think they, they knew my, uh, you know, uh, I guess passion. They knew that I was always passionate about business, always want to do things my way. Anyhow, I took that business from one van, 1991, to several locations and uh, a lot of employees. And of course, there was attrition going through employees and so forth. And then we took that company and separated it and made a, a did a hazardous material company. And that company more than quadrupled in the eight eight years that we took it out during that process as well. I had a business partner, Bob Burnham, who was part of the restoration early on, complete different story. He was a franchisor years ago, guy from Ontario, uh, advertising guy, super guy. We've done a lot together, known each other 30 plus years. And when we started expertauthorpublishing.com, that was in the nineties when nobody, everybody had to have a book, right? Okay. So even now that company's got th several thousand titles under it, but I sold out to him like eight years ago. We wrote those books, but I'm, I'm off track a little bit, but just a different bit. We had another franchise company. We've always done What's something. What's the other franchise company? I'm just intrigued well, by it. Well, it was burnmac.com and it was like a painting carpet cleaning franchises that we were selling. And we learned all the, everything that had to do with franchising it was a lot of fun. So it was learning you know, you think about it, the information that entrepreneurs have now are just, it's so plentiful. You want to raise some cash, you go to, there's easy ways. We are bootstrapping everything. Yeah. Or with selling franchises, you're getting money from people and then you're getting them, you know, give them a free lease on the van for a year, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So well, you definitely chose two industries that are definitely recession proof involving the restoration companies and the hazard 
industry. Yes. There's yeah, so much because my uh, one of my yeah. clients is ServPro of Southern Butler. So I understand ServPro really well, and I've worked in that and understand that industry. And it's big. It's a lot of work because you're like 24 seven, and you got to be on it with the team, but you got to be there, boots yeah, on yeah. the ground. That's it's that's not. That, yes, that's that mentality of. Uh, even my wife bugs me sometimes. It's like I'm always 12 steps ahead of everybody in my mind because when you're, you have to be 12 steps ahead of somebody in the restoration world because it's insurance and they're going to phone you and go, where's this and where's that? And if the you don't beat it, some other company is going to be there to take your spot. And if it's hazardous material, same deal. Yeah. And then well, the they, most people are traumatized. Think about it. unscheduled events in their homes. That's why it's sharpened. So I will say that. Yes, I had a restoration company. Yes, we did the hazardous material, but it was a vehicle to it was a vehicle for me to be who I am today in terms of customer service was and I had guys white shirts, tie, black pants, uniform, clean, tidy trucks, the whole night. I was lack of a better term, anal retentive about that. Now, people know me for clean shop. They know me for clean anyway. It was a vehicle for me to get to the next level every time. The publishing company was, we read enough nonfiction and business books that we found that all the seminars we were attending in the US way back in the 90s where, oh, here's- Everyone needed a book at that time. It was the perfect so time. We're, we're like, well, we didn't want to be those market. We just wanted to market to people that, oh, you've got a book. You're halfway through a book. Oh, you have an idea. We can help you. At the end of it, you will have books. Not 2000 books in your garage either. It was the early Amazon when nobody knew how to publish on Amazon. Now you can get one done in a week. You can get 15 if you Yeah, want. so you were definitely at the right place, right time in that. Yes. Sure. So it was always that I, when you think of mentoring, it was it's interesting because any businesses, especially franchises, when you, got, you get somebody that invests money with you, it's like they'll phone you up on a Monday because Friday they're all pumped and ready to go. But you have to re-motivate them on Monday because some are entrepreneurs and some aren't. People that call themselves entrepreneurs, they're not really necessarily entrepreneurs. Sometimes you buy a franchise, you're buying somebody else's idea and it's kind of you bought a job unless you want to take that and expand it. I don't want to be too hard on that word entrepreneur, but I know well, that definitely a franchise is success. You make a lot of money in a franchise. You own it almost, except you're giving some of it away. But ultimately, you're already getting a brand. You're already but getting you're paying proven. for the motivation too. It's like I got you got to bring a guy down to ground zero Monday morning before you can even implement a new idea in his head. You had to motivate. How are you doing? It's Monday morning. How are you guys ready for the business meeting? As well, I had a rough weekend, and you know, people are people, man. Life happens, and I probably so you want when you start to understand people. Like, listen, man. Social work and being even employees that were laborers in the restoration world, they were social workers. They weren't flood techs. They weren't fire techs. They weren't carpenters. They were so, I'm going to do some baseboard in your house. Meanwhile, she's crying. Anyway, so we, we had a magnifying glass on us all the time, and it really upped my game. And I came from a family. My dad was Navy, and he was a very compassionate man. And he was, he'd always discipline you, but he, he always explained why. And it's just like when, I had a hard time firing people because I wanted the best for them. And do you know who Jimmy Patterson is? No, I don't. Jimmy Patterson is the probably the richest guy in Canada. One of the he owns like save. Uh, he you look him up. So anyway, he had a car dealership, and every month in Vancouver, every month he'd fire the lowest man on the totem pole in terms of sales. And he would always say, "That's not 
you know, I'm letting you go because it's not your time. I always thought of that one. Anytime I'm letting somebody go, it's like, it's just not your time. You're a really good person, but it's not your time. It's just these little things along the way you pick up. But that back to mentoring and would you rather be right or successful? That's that one's big. Because if you look at even today's society, everybody's trying to be right and cram something down your throat. I just I think that you know rather be successful. So the word is be successful before right. Like what and, and what does that even mean? Means take a step back, breathe, realize where you're at in this conversation. Where are you at financially? Where are you at? You know, like everybody absolutely. So the thing is that a lot of times, uh, Zig Ziglar said, "Give them what they want." You want to give what they. If you're not giving them what they want, then you're not going to get what you want in so many ways. So it's the thing is. We have to figure out what people want. We always want to say, we know what they want. We got to ask them. We got to figure out them. And that's the key thing in, in success in business. And you definitely figured it out with service base and all those things. What would you say right now? What's the best bet for an entrepreneur business owner today to start? What would you say? Well, to what type of business? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a bigger conversation because... People will say to me, a friend of mine, he's a developer and he's, he's into real estate. Well, how do I get into real estate? Well, listen, hang on, buddy. We got to sit down, see where you are financially, see where you are with your, your finances. If you're open to it, or are you going to get defensive? It, that's a really loaded question. Service industry, it, it depends, again, on your, on your education, too. But I find that there's so many great businesses that could be started tomorrow. I have a friend, for example, he's got a... a, a Vent cleaning company, huge mm-hmm. franchise now, mammoth. So it's about it's about the business of the franchising and of the. It's not the actual nitty gritty work. Yeah, he knows how to he knows how to clean furnaces out, but it's a big business. No one wants to start those ugly businesses, but they make a fortune. It's, you've seen the show on CNBC. CNBC there's a show on CNBC. It's called Blue Collar Millionaire. I love that show. Uh, you're to- so right that those businesses, the restoration business, the plumbing business, the HVAC business, all of these, the HV, they're all truly opportunities and profiting. And, the, and and you know what? I got to interrupt here. It's because I have a bone to pick. And the bone is this. It's everybody goes on Instagram, Clubhouse, everything, and everything is branding. I should be an entrepreneur. I should be into branding and entrepreneur brand. no. Not everybody is created that way. It's like, it's okay to be an employee. It's okay to go work for somebody else. It's a, let's make that okay for everybody so that they don't chase something for, listen, man, when you get this, when you get the seed of nonfiction planted in you, first time you go to a Tony Robbins seminar, you're like, you're like, you know, you have religion. So first time you go to a marketing, you run to the back of the room, you buy everything. But they don't do it. They don't. First time they start a podcast, I've done over nine thousand plus interviews, Jeff. I mean, no one's going to catch me, right, or more. And I did no, last but week. That's your passion, and you yeah. recognize it. It's like I, I don't know, because sometimes it, now my bone to pick back to this is like people go on Instagram and they see what other people have, and they go, "I got to do this," and I got to do it. No, you don't. You know something? We wrote a quote, Bob and I, third of a page when we started in the business, and it was something I. I have it here somewhere, but I actually pulled it out during Clubhouse and it said, I want to make a million dollars in an easy and relaxed manner for the good of all and whoever holds this intention. 
And I put that million. And when we made that million, Bob and I, when we wrote that out, and I, I had that in my leather day timer for years. And only till Clubhouse did I actually pull it out. And I realized I had screwed.